Hey there, Slappercast listeners. This is Chad. It's just me today. Yesterday was Memorial Day, and it was just kind of hard to schedule podcast time this week. So at first I was thinking, maybe I'll just let this week go. <laughs> maybe I'll skip a week, which we've never done. But then I thought, no, I don't want to let you guys down. It means a lot to me to get these things out on a regular schedule. So come hell or high water, I'm going to do something. As long as I have my voice, I can at least record something on my own. So that's what I'm doing. And I really, really didn't know what I was going to talk about at first because I didn't bother asking people for questions today because it's Memorial Day. And I say today, <laughs> it's 3.30 in the morning, but it's still pretty much Monday as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I didn't really feel it was appropriate to be bugging people for questions on Memorial Day, since I know most of you were busy doing other things anyway. So, yeah, I was kind of short on material <laughs> at first, and then then I saw my friend Pete Little from Irish Airs at KPFT 90.1 FM in Houston posted a picture of, a heartbreaking picture of Fitzgerald's being torn down. And for those of you who don't know, Fitzgerald's, was one of the most long yeah one of the most long standing just legendary music venues in Houston that had been around since 1977 and that alone is pretty amazing but the club itself the building itself was 100 years old when the club closed and it was an, originally it was built in 1918 was originally a Polish dance hall uh, for decades. That's 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 what it was. Yeah, Fitzgerald's opened in uh, 1977, and almost every I mean, if if you're in the music scene in Houston, you you just by default would wind up there at some point, and it's just it just breaks my heart. <laughs> it breaks my heart to see see that, you know. And Houston sometimes has done really well with historical preservation. And other times, not so much. And this is one of those times that I, it just really, it's really sad. It's really unfortunate. You know, sometimes we do good. I mean, Alabama Theater, of course, was a book stop for a long time. Now it's Trader Joe's. That's a much better solution than having the building torn down. River Oaks Theater actually is still a theater. That's probably the best example of historical preservation in Houston. Ah, it just breaks my heart. And, you know, they're tearing it down so they can build... A freaking parking lot. You know, so there's no poetic answer. There's no ending. There's no poetic ending to this, except the fact that Fitz was around for a very, very, very long time and touched many, many, many people's lives, including my own. My music career pretty much started there when I was 18. Um, the first time I went there, I was still in high school, uh, not to perform, but to watch another band, called The Exchange, coincidentally very similar to the name of the band that I would wind up in a year later. That's, I'll get to that in a minute. The Exchange was a band that I knew from high school, which was the High School for Performing and Visual Arts, or PBA, as we called it. The Exchange was, uh, they were great. They were an all-original band. Andrew Beckham on guitar. He was in the visual art department. A guy named Christer Gay on bass. And a dude named James Catron on lead vocals. And James was from a different high school. And they were fantastic. Um, very heavily influenced by U2. And when I say U2, I'm talking about 
of course, keep in mind this is the mid '80s, so this is this was before Joshua Tree came out, right before it came out, actually, because uh, that was only a few months after that, I think. So this was still during the era when Unforgettable Fire was their most recent record. So Pride, you know, Sunday Bloody Sunday, uh, New Year's Day, those were the songs that people thought of when you mentioned U2 back in those days. But they were great. And, and so we were really excited to go see them. And uh, we'd never, none of us had ever been to Fitzgerald's before, I think. I mean, we, were only, we were only 18. And if the exchange was playing downstairs at what was at the time called Zelda's, and uh which was a very small stage there was oh this the whole reason this was going on by the way was there was an amnesty amnesty international music festival thing so there's a bunch of different bands playing uh long uh lineup upstairs and downstairs so we saw the exchange play and that was fun and then we were going to hang around and see some of the other bands and i have no recollection of who the other bands were i think i've since read i think joe ely was there but i really don't know because I don't even know what the date was. <laughs> I'm not sure if this was late 86 or early 87. One of the two. But we looked at the, at the list of shows of people who knew the lineup that night, trying to decide who we were going to go see, because we didn't know anybody. We didn't know who anybody was. And one name jumped out at us was Dana Cooper, because we thought it was a woman's name. <laughs> and we're, let's go see the chick band. So we go upstairs to see Dana play. And we're like, oh... It's a guy, but he was fantastic. Um, I had no idea. None of us knew who Dana Cooper was at the time. We didn't know anything, but he was, he was great. He had a band with him at that point, and uh, they were, they were freaking awesome. And it turns out that my mom knew Dana, and I actually met him only a few months after that when he was playing a solo acoustic show at Griff's. And uh, he's still a friend of mine. I see him every now and then. He's still doing his thing, and he's freaking amazing. Uh, he's just a beautiful songwriter, beautiful voice. Um, there's really nobody like him. He's one of those songwriters that completely carved his own niche. I can't really think of anybody that he sounds like to me, but he was a huge influence on me uh, at, at, at that age. He, I still just uh, admire the hell out of him. Uh, he's still one of my biggest heroes. So that was kind of cool. That's the main thing I remember about that night. So fast forward a year. Now it's 1988. I'm in a band called The Change. Again, no, no relationship to The Exchange, the previous band I was talking about. And we get a gig playing in the Battle of the Bands at Fitzgerald's. That was, how we, that was our foot in the door at Fitzgerald's. And we started playing. I think most of the first shows we played were at Zelda's downstairs. I don't think any of them were upstairs. I could be wrong about that, but... But there were a bunch of different bands in this competition, and we made it all the way to the finals. And this was May 31st, so we played... This was upstairs. This was on the upstairs stage, and this might have been the first time we played on that stage. It could be... Again, I could be wrong. I'm not a little hazy on that. But it was... I still remember that as one of the biggest nights of my life because everybody I knew was there. My parents were there. Everybody... All my friends from high school... Because was, this was the end of May. Every, even all the people who had been gone for college were back in town by this point. It was just fantastic, and um, that was uh, that was an absolute thrill. Of course, we didn't win. <laughs> it was a band called The Rain won that night. R e i g n, like the reign of a king. The lead singer played flute. They were really, really good. And, and if anybody out there remembers The Rain, Houston band from the late '80s, please, please tell me because I'd like to know 
what became of them. Um, the other bands that night, that was The Awful Truth and Toho Eheo. We went on to play a bunch of shows with Toho uh, that summer. And uh, Ruben Dominguez, the guitarist, by the way, is now working at Fox 26. He's a reporter there. Ruben was a fantastic guitar player. I'm sure, I'm sure he still is. But the main thing I remember about Ruben is, number one, he was funny as hell, cool as hell, and he had a Roland Jazz Chorus guitar amp that I lusted after like crazy. Ooh, I wanted that amp so bad. I never got a Roland JC. This is back when I was a rhythm guitar player, by the way. It wasn't, this was years before I ever even thought about picking up bass. So this was our, the band called The, the Change. Change was uh, Andy Zubik on uh, lead vocals and lead guitar. It's myself on uh, rhythm guitar and lead vocals. Rob Reddick on bass and Jason Reck on drums. And Dwight Odelius on keys. Dwight was not an original member. I, I wasn't an original member either, actually. But Dwight joined, I think, in late 88, after we were already gigging quite a bit. And uh, But yeah, after that, that initial Battle of the Bands thing, we went on to play a bunch of times, tons of gigs at Zelda's, and occasionally got opening slots upstairs. And one of those was for Dash Rip Rock. Dash Rip Rock also played at Fitz in its final month last last December, December 2018. And I couldn't make it. I was really, really bummed I couldn't make that show. I really wanted to go to at least to see Fitzgerald's one last time before they, sh they closed the doors. And really bummed I missed that. It would have been really fitting. <laughs> it would have been really poetic for me to go back and see Dash Rip Rock after all that time, 30 years later. Oh, God. So The Change played a bunch more shows at Fitz. Um, there was one little hiccup, though. <laughs> Uh, back then, Fitz had this thing that they would do for local bands where they'd give you a little stack of tickets. Big stack of tickets, actually. They'd give you as many as you wanted. And it would have... They were nice-looking little tickets that they'd print out, especially for your show. Made, made it look like you were the headliner, even if you weren't the headliner. And it had the price on it and everything, and the time, the address, phone number, and all that stuff for the, for the club. And this, this, this was your promotional tool. This is what you would go and hand to people instead of handing them a flyer or something. You'd hand them this ticket. Say, please come see my band. And then people, when they go to the club, they'd hand that in uh, at the box office. And that's how the club kept track of who was there to see whom. And uh, so if you, if you played a show there and, it, and nobody, <laughs> nobody turned in a ticket, you were in trouble. So you were less likely to get booked again, basically. So this, this ticket system pissed a lot of people off um it annoyed a lot of bands but and I, I i understand why but i i also think it was good uh especially for these young there was a lot of young bands including us a lot of young bands who got a chance to go to a real venue and and, and uh have sound run by a real sound person and get a taste of actual professional you know professional performance and fitzgerald's gave a lot of young musicians that that opportunity so the fact that they kind of pushed them to 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 promote themselves i don't really think i don't really see that as a problem yeah did the gig did the gigs pay very much no <laughs> of course not but you know we weren't even at least i, I the change in, in our band we weren't even really thinking about that back in those days uh we weren't in it for the money at that point we all had day jobs and uh we were lucky just to get you know 20 40 bucks to cover gas and if we did make more than that, it would just go into the band pool and we'd use it to print flyers or you know, whatever we needed to do to promote the next show. 
there really wasn't much money to go around back in those days. And that's what most bands were used to, I think. So one, one day, uh, Dwight and I were driving around. This, this was, I think, late 88. And we had a show at Fitzgerald's coming up, but we hadn't picked up the tickets yet. So it was like, oh, let's go get the tickets. Crap. So, and I think this was just a few days before the show. Uh, we were getting very, very lazy, very complacent. Because uh, by this point, we had, there were two women there who, it wasn't Sarah, there were two women there who, who did the, the bookings back in those days, and they loved us. So I think we just got a little too cocky. So we went in there, got the tickets, and this woman in the back of the office shouts over at us. It's like, don't you gentlemen think this is a little late? A little late to be picking up your tickets, don't you think? And, and we're like, oh yeah, we know, no, don't worry, we, we got it, we've got it worked out. We're, everything's going to be fine. She, she was like, yeah, yeah, right. And uh, she's very stern. <laughs> and, and we're like, gosh, what was her deal? And it wasn't until much later that we realized that that was Sarah Fitzgerald. <laughs> that was the owner of, of Fitzgerald. So, yeah. And, and unsurprisingly, maybe we had two or three tickets turned, <laughs> turned in at that show. And we were blacklisted from the club. Uh, I remember Andy would call and call and try to see if we could get any more shows. And they just would not return our calls. But it didn't last very long. It, it seems like it was ages, but we did start playing there again uh, later the next year, I think. Um, and that's when we, we, you know, we sort of redeemed ourselves, learned our lesson, as it were. And that's when we got to we got another a bunch of more. Uh, we got a, a bunch of uh, really good opening slots again. We opened for Ten Hands, which was a tremendous thrill. Uh, and if anybody. As, as old as I am, who grew up in Texas, uh, you probably know who Ten Hands was. They, and they're still together, actually. They still play up in Denton sometimes. They were fantastic. Almost every band I knew back then really aspired to be like them because they were huge uh, on the, in, in that Texas circuit back in those days. And they would always pack the place. They always had people dancing. They were just great fun. And I, I just loved them to death. So we got to open for them. That was, that was great. And then the very last show we played at Fitzgerald's actually was right before we broke up was opening for a band called Inc. INC period. So, and that was it. Uh, and then after, for a long time after that, this was around the time that my friend Dwight, who was actually in the band, probably might, might have neglected to mention that one of the reasons why we were able to get our foot back in the door at Fitzgerald's was because Dwight, our keyboardist, was the assistant booking manager at the club. So that might have that might have helped a little bit. So after the change broke, I think Dwight was still working there. And it was because Dwight was the assistant booking manager that I got to meet Jonathan Richmond backstage one night. So that was a thrill. And I was playing I was playing solo acoustic shows downstairs a lot. There was a guy, a really cool guy named Trip Sutherland, who was running sound back in those days. I think I mentioned him mentioned him on an earlier show. He would have like acoustic Tuesdays or something like that. So I was there quite frequently. David Rice was all was often playing there around the same time. I know that he and I were on the bill many many times together. Um, Tony Vila, God, names are escaping me. It's been so long. So that was around ninety. We're talking about the early nineties at this point. So fast forward about ten years. I've moved to New York and I've moved back. I'm back in Houston, and I joined a band called Blackguards. After meeting a guy named Patrick Devlin, you you already know the story. But it turns out we had quite a few shows at Fitzgerald's as well, which isn't too much of a surprise, but I still, I just, I love that, that 
<laughs> from one end of my career to the other. Um, you know, I have so many memories of this one place. But with Blackguards, we opened there for, I think the very first time we played there, we were, we were I think we were opening for Brave Combo. That might have been the first time. I really don't remember. But anyway, yeah, we opened, we opened for Brave Combo there. We opened for Gaelic Storm. We opened for Cowboy Mouth. Some, some other ones I'm forgetting, I think. And that was all upstairs, and we did play some da- downstairs shows as well. Uh, some, some sort of Celtic music showcases with uh, Flying Fish Sailors. And uh, the very last time we played there was, I think, December of 2017, or around that time. It didn't seem like it was that long ago. I guess it wasn't. Maybe less than two years ago. So, and Sarah was there that night, I remember. And Sarah was always had really nice things to say about us. Yeah, it's just a drag, man. It's just a, a, a real drag. But I made a list. I posted this on my Facebook page a while back. I made this long list of all the bands that I saw there. And if any of these ring a bell, I would love to hear your memories about these shows as well. Because there's a ton of them. Oh, I, I, I totally skipped over one of the one of the best periods. But around the time that I was playing, doing solo gigs, uh, I, there was this other band called Zeus's Pedals, which was another group of my friends. In fact, uh, there uh, the lead guitarist in that band, Patrick White. He and I, and Dwight, and Rob Reddick from the Change had started to put a band together ourselves uh, after the Change broke up. That all kind of fell apart. But around right around that same time, Patrick White was starting up a band called Zeus's Pedals with a uh, guy named Brendan Jones uh, on lead vocals and the lyrics, uh, Scott Washburn on drums, Jerry Chrisman on keys, and at that point, I think it was Michael Danberg on bass. They had a lot of different bass players. So, but I went there many, many times to see Zuzu's play, or Zuzu's pedals, Zuzu's as we call them for short, uh, many, many times in the, in the, back in those days, early 90s. So that was another one of many memories. I saw Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker play there. Fishbone. Actually, The Change played that that same night, actually. Downstairs, but it was still quite a thrill. Oh, God, I used to go see Poi Dog Pondering all the time. I loved that band. Flesh Mop, of course, were an absolute legend. Uh, That's Jay Malsby, the late Scott Daniels, Ben Collis, and Rich Tapia. They were absolutely jaw-droppingly good. Yeah, the Reavers, Twang Twang, Shaka Boom, anybody remember them? It's David Garza. Fab Motion, I saw Flog and Molly there once. Bob Mould, that was a good show. Pylon, anybody remember? Pylon's sort of an obscure band from, from Athens, Georgia that was a big influence on R.E.M. Uh, so that was, uh, that, was, that was fun. They played at Zelda's, I remember. That was a good show. Let's Active, that was, God, that was a great show. Uh, upstairs on a Tuesday night, I think. And of course, Banana Blender Surprise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That was David Beebe's band back in the day. I think Alan Hill might have been in that band. If I'm wrong, please, somebody slap me. They were fantastic. David Beebe used to keep, he had a, a cooler full of RC Cola in front of the stage and would just be chugging <laughs> can after can of RC Cola during the show. It was awesome. Um, Deschmog. Oh my God, yeah. Panjandrum, of course. Uh, Johnny Gowdy, Chris King. Sprawl. Yep. Frank Turner, that's more recently I saw Frank Turner. That's probably the last show I actually went to go see there was Frank Turner. I mean, the last time I was at Fitzgerald's, I was playing a show, but the last actual show I went to go see there, I think, was Frank Turner. 
that was absolutely fantastic. Um, of course, Toy Subs. We used to play toy shows with Toy Subs and The Hates. Yeah, I think I've mentioned all these other names before. But, you know, I don't know. It's just one of these things I just don't know where to stop. <laughs> There's so much to talk about with, with this place. And I'm going to miss it. I have been missing it this past year. And I, I have to drive. I don't have to, but I, I do frequently drive past uh, Fitzgerald's on my way to my mother's house, um, usually every week. And I think I'm going to start driving a different way now because I don't. I have no desire to, to lay eyes on this parking lot they're about to start building. I can't handle it. So hold me. So anyway, I think that about wraps it up for this week. Next time you hear from us, we will be in Las Vegas next Tuesday. Well, it is our first show at Rira in Mandalay Bay. We're going to be there for six nights. So we're going to have to record a show some time before that. But the very next show, I'm really hoping we're going to get all four of us on it. We, I, have a very, a brand, I have a brand new interface now, which has, all, which has four inputs on it. So we're ready to, to, to enter a new era of uh, Slappercast here where you won't be bored by <laughs> the same two people or the same one person yapping at you every week. Thanks very much, people. I'll see you next time.